Hi, this is Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 21 of That's a Good Question. Isn't that just your interpretation? Over the next couple episodes, we want to discuss an issue that comes up frequently when you're trying to share the truth of the Bible with an unbeliever, or even sometimes when you're talking about various doctrines among believers, and uh, you may have a disagreement over some doctrinal issue. In both of those situations, you can often hear people say something to the effect of, but that's just your interpretation. And it raises the question, Is the Bible so hopelessly obscure that uh, we can't really understand its teaching and it's just left up to whatever you think it means or what I think it means? Mm -hmm. Can we know the Bible's message and if so, how? So, Pastor Ken, let's talk about that today. Well, yeah, I've heard that uh, many times over the years as well. Uh, Probably most of us who take God's word seriously so that we discuss it with other people, whether believers or unbelievers have have heard that. Because both Christians and non-Christians will say, but, you know, that's just your interpretation. It's as if we have to resign ourselves to the conclusion that the Bible's message cannot be truly known. So the idea is you've got your interpretation, I've got mine. uh, And that's said in sort of the same way that you would say, you've got your opinion, I've got my opinion. So many people believe that one's interpretation of the Bible is no more sure than an opinion about, for example, who won the presidential debate. We had one just this week. We both look at the same thing, and we each arrive at our own conclusion, and one is no better than the other. Now, it's true that judging something like who won a debate can have so many subjective factors that it does just amount to how it struck me and how I look at it. We hear people say things like he or she, quote, looked presidential, or they turned in a, quote, commanding performance. But what looks presidential to you may not be the same for me, and who knows what constitutes a a commanding performance. You could add other factors that people use, like the candidate was empathetic or likable, and everybody's going to have their own view of those kinds of things. And if the Bible is like that, then interpretation really is just a matter of opinion. It really is just your interpretation. You know, notice I emphasize just, meaning it's merely your interpretation or only your interpretation or simply your interpretation. It really has no more authority than your subjective opinion. So what makes the Bible different so that it's not just like an opinion about who won a debate? Uh, what What's different about the Bible that allows us to be confident that we know what it means? Well, the first thing is that the Bible is a written communication, not spoken in person. So you don't have all of those more nebulous factors like, does the speaker look sincere or did they look me in the eye so that I thought they, uh, they were a bit shifty if they didn't look me in the eye? Uh, Things like sincerity and empathy and authority, they can all certainly be communicated in writing, but that has to do with how the author has communicated, not what it is they're saying. In written communication, the focus is on what is being said before how it's being said. Got it. 
But uh, there are sections of the Bible that are pretty heavy on emotion, right? You know, I'm thinking of the Psalms. Um, many of them are poetry or songs. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's that's an excellent point. Uh, we're going to see later that interpreting the Bible requires that we know what kind of book that we're dealing with within the Bible, because it has 66 different books, and they're not all the same type. Hmm. Many of the, the Psalms are, as you said, they're poems and songs. And so we approach them with, with that in mind. But still, they are written with historical settings. They're written by historical figures. And so we can place what they're writing about and who's writing it in context, and we can understand what it is they're conveying, even in the emotive language that are used that's used in that kind of a book. So if you have a, a competent author who's able to convey their message in writing, you can take the guesswork out of determining the meaning of what they've written. You can put in put it in context and then get to what they intended to convey. It's true that uh, bad writing can make it difficult to discern what the author means. So you said, as you said, we need a competent author. But as you know, with the Bible, we've got the most competent author because it's God's word and it was written by by him. But we know that the books were God used people like Moses and David and Matthew and Paul and others to write the Bible. So I have competence or I have uh, confidence that God is a competent author. But how can we be sure about those other 40 or so humans that composed the 66 books we have in the Bible? Well, that's a, that is a good question. We uh, call the Bible God's word. But in fact, as you pointed out, it was composed by 40 different human authors. So in what sense is it God's word? And how does he ensure that it communicates what he wants, since in fact it came through these, these human authors? The Bible teaches that both God and the human author were involved in producing each book of the Bible, that God oversaw the production of Scripture so that what they wrote was what he wanted written. He didn't dictate it word for word as they used their own words and personalities and backgrounds, but the result was precisely what he wanted. So the Bible tells us very clearly that the Bible came from God. All Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, Scripture never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Yeah. So one theologian has helpfully defined the process of God overseeing what the human authors wrote so that they produced what he wanted. That theologian said it this way, God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error his message to mankind in the words of their original writings. Now, that's a very good definition. It has this overseeing of God, so he's not dictating. He's using their human personalities and their, their words, uh, but he's superintending the choice of who it is that's going to do the writing, uh, and then uh, making sure they have the experiences in their lives that are that that come to the hmm. fore when they actually do that writing. God is providentially overseeing everything in their lives to bring them to the point that they will be the instruments to to write His word. God superintended. So when we say superintended, we don't just mean at the point of writing. 
God was actually carrying them along. You know, to Jeremiah, he says, I knew you before you were born, <laughs> the prophet. So mm -hmm. he's been preparing them for this and superintending providentially the process of their lives so that then when they do come to write, God's superintention of them makes them the choice vessel to produce exactly what he wants. He superintends the human authors, so they compose and record without error, and then it says his message to mankind. So they are writing it. They're writing it with their words and personalities, but it is his message to us. That That's a very helpful way to describe it. Um, so there's two authors to every book. You've got God and the human author. But I can still let's let's drill down a little more in this. I could hear somebody uh, wondering then. So which author's meaning do I want? Do I want God's mm -hmm. or the human author? Uh, and you know we'd all say we want we want God's meaning. But how do you arrive at that when you've got to deal with the human author that's involved? That gets to a very core issue of interpreting the Bible. You know, as we said earlier, if you have a competent author who conveys his or her meaning clearly then you can put that message in context and you can determine what it is they intended to convey. And with God, as you said earlier, we have the most competent author. But what about the human author that composed it? Does God have one meaning and does the human author possibly have another? Is it possible that you have the surface meaning maybe from the human author, but there's a deeper meaning from God? And since messages from God are not the norm, you know, when we read something, when we hear something, when we take in a communication, it's not normally a direct communication from God. So a message from God, like the Bible is, that's not the norm. So maybe you need different rules for understanding God's message. That's the way many people reason about this. But thankfully, none of that is the case. God worked in the lives of the human authors so that what he wrote is his message to us. It's written in human language, it's using human grammar, and therefore it can be interpreted by using the rules of normal human communication. So you don't have this distinction between the human author's meaning and God's meaning. They are in fact one and the same, and therefore you don't need esoteric, kind of mysterious, mystical ways of arriving at God's message. And there have been all kinds of those in the history of the church. People approach the message of the Bible because it's a message from God. Therefore, they assume we have to approach its interpretation different than interpreting other communication to us. And mm -hmm. so they mm -hmm. spiritualize or allegorize, make an allegory out of what is God, God has said. This says this, but it represents something deeper or something, something different to get to God's meaning. That kind of thing has gone on throughout church history, and it's caused all kinds of mayhem, really, in interpretation. The goal of interpretation, interpreting anything, is to understand the author's intended meaning. And so hmm. when we know the human author's meaning, we know God's meaning. They are one and the same. And so hmm. the rules for interpreting the Bible are exactly the same as the rules for interpreting any community. Yeah, yeah, lost the tail into that. Uh, but you, you were saying that the rules for interpreting the Bible are just like any communication. So, for example, right. you and I are here communicating, and uh, our viewers are watching from home, listening to us, and all of us are engaged in that same kind of uh, activity. We're interpreting 
what the other person means using, you know, the normal rules of language. And that's how we are to interpret the Bible. Yeah, that's exactly it. When I listen to you and you listen to me, we're interpreting each other's words. We're engaging in a process of interpretation. Now, it doesn't seem like much of a process because as we're going back and forth here, we're doing it very quickly. We're doing it almost automatically going through this process of interpretation. I can interpret your meaning. You can interpret mine. The audience can interpret what we're saying. All of that can be done very easily. And here's why, because we have two advantages. We are communicating both contemporary and local, contemporary and local. Now, here's what I mean by that. Contemporary meaning we live at the same time. And local, we live in the same area. We live in the same, the same place. So, for example, if I mention, as I did earlier, the debate, since we live at the same time and in the same place, everyone knows what I'm talking about because we live here and now, and we know the presidential debate was this week. If someone watches this, though, five years from now, they would have to do some work to determine what debate we're talking about because they're not contemporary. You know, they're not at the same time. It's not. And if I say that debate, if I were to say the debate that happened this week may help determine who will be in power in D.C. Again, we know what we all know what D.C. is, the capital of our nation. But someone who's not local would not readily know that. So that brings us to the Bible then. With an old book like the Bible, since we're not either contemporary or local, that means we have to do intentionally and consciously what we automatically and instinctively do all the time. What we have to do with the Bible is we have to do the work to place what we're reading in context. And we can do that if we apply the same rules that we're using in this conversation to our approach to the Bible. And these are not rules that we just make up, but they're rules that are absolutely necessary in order to have any kind of communication at all. Now, next week, or maybe even the week after, we'll look at why these rules are inherent in the very nature of communication. But for now, I'd like for us to spend the rest of our time just going through these three essential rules of communication. That sounds good, but uh, let's so let's recap for the people just before we move on to that. So you're saying that the objective of all interpretation is to understand the writer or the speaker's intended message. And that the uh, that's true whether it's a discussion or anything you'll hear or read um, even today as people go about their business. And to get that intended message, then you have to understand the context in which the message was written, spoken, or so on. And we can normally do that without thinking uh, but because the Bible's ancient and it's not written here, it's not written in, in these this current era, we have to intentionally think about those rules and apply them, right? That's it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So there are, in fact, rules of interpretation that we use all the time. We just don't know it because we don't have to think about it. But these rules are necessary for communication to take place at all. It means that the Bible is not, going back to your question to start this out, Larry, it's not a hopelessly obscure book, the meaning of which cannot be known, and that interpreting it, in fact, is not just a matter of opinion. It's not just your interpretation or just my interpretation. So 
So why then are there so many different interpretations is the question I'm sure is on everybody's mind. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that before we get. People think they need to use a different set of rules for the Bible than with other communication because they think they need some spiritual way to get to God's meaning rather than just the human author's meaning. But once you realize that God gave us the Bible in human form, in human language, and therefore we use human interpretation rules to get its meaning, then you're not going to have so many diverse interpretations. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that we're going to then know every, agree on everything that the Bible says. The Bible is an ancient book, and therefore trying to put some of what it says in its original context is a, is a real challenge. But that's for, frankly, a small portion of the Bible. Uh, most of the Bible, we can put it in its context, we can apply these rules, and we can understand what it says, and then we will agree on what it says if we're using the same rules. The reason we have so many interpretations is simply because we don't play by the same rules. All right, that's a perfect setup then. So what are the rules of all communication that we need to keep in mind? Well, the first overarching rule of all communication is, is this, that context determines meaning. Context determines meaning. If you get nothing else out of what we're saying here, get that down. Context is what determines meaning. Words don't carry inherent meaning. You know, we, we sometimes think that. We think that a word just means something. Well, the truth is a word doesn't just mean something. It means something only in context. And we know that just by thinking about how a, a dictionary uh, is laid out. You look up a word uh, in the dictionary, and very often, most often, it's not going to have just one possible definition. You have two or three or five possible. And how are you going to know which of those two or three or five are the appropriate one for uh, the sentence that you're looking it up for? Well, it depends on the context. Depending on the context, that word can mean this, this, or this is the, is the idea. So context determines meaning. Words don't have their own meaning. Those words have meaning by being used in a particular way, in a particular context, at a, at a particular time. You also see that in the fact that dictionaries have to be updated all the time. So you have, you know, the 20th edition of the Webster's, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary or whatever the latest edition is. Why? Why do you have to keep updating? Because the use of language changes over time. So the context determines the meaning. It's not meaning inherent in, in the words. So what we've got to do is have rules for determining the context. And there, there are three of those. I'll try to go through them as quickly as I can. We, but... Uh, let me say, we go through this. It's so important. We go through this in our two foundational classes as part of our community institute. We have a lesson on this in Master Plan for Life. We also have a lesson on it in how to get the most out of your Bible. So those of you who have taken that, this will sound familiar, but I'm going to go through it uh, fairly quickly. The first uh, Pastor Ken, I, I just context. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you. There. I thought I would That's just right. throw up uh, while people are thinking about that. If they'd like to know more about that, you can actually watch the master plan class in its entirety at our website there at the bottom of your screen. So sorry, yeah, I should have thrown that in that sooner. Out. No, 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 good, very good. So here's the first uh, rule for setting context. And that is that all communication has an historical context and a store. So you wanna set every communication in its historical context. Now, again, 
we don't have to do that consciously with stuff we hear and read right now because we're living at the same time. So there isn't this historical context. We're contemporary. But when you're reading an old book, when you're reading an old communication like the Bible, you need to set it in its historical context. So that means a few things, that you look at a book of the Bible and you want to know why was this book written? What was the purpose for which this book was included in the Bible? Why was it written? Now, a lot of times that will be directly stated in the book itself. Uh, the book of 1 John, for example, the very last chapter, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, tells you, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John, the author, says, here's why I wrote these four and a half chapters that you've just read. It was for this, this purpose. Sometimes the purpose is implied in the book based upon what you know about the author, what you know about the recipient. Uh, for example, Paul wrote uh, two letters in the New Testament to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. We know from the book of Acts that Paul was a spiritual mentor, spiritual father to Timothy. And so now you can read those books with that relationship in mind, and he is passing on instruction to a younger man in the ministry, passing the baton of leadership onto him. So it's either explicitly stated, sometimes it's implied. You also not only want to know the purpose in order to set this historical setting, you want to interpret uh, each biblical book in light of its chronology. Where does this book fit in to the chronology of the Bible? Because these uh, 66 books were not written all at the same time. They were written over a period of at least 1,500 years. And so you want to know what was going on uh, when this book was, at the time this book was written. You want to have it set in its context chronologically uh, in time. And uh, a, a commentary, a good study Bible, all of the introduction to every book will tell you those, those kinds of things. And then there's things like uh, setting in its historical context means the geography, understanding you know, where some of the events that are being talked about in a book like this are, are happening. Take, for example, the city of Jerusalem and the fact that in the Bible, you will often uh, have this phrase, they went up to Jerusalem. And it'll say that even when the people about whom it's talking are already north of Jerusalem. So why would it always say, no matter where they are in relation to the city, that they're going up to Jerusalem? Well, it turns out Jerusalem is elevated. And because mm. it's uh, elevated, no matter where you are, you're always going up to Jerusalem. So in some of the Psalms, Psalm 121 is an example. If you were to look at that, at the top of that Psalm, it says it's a song of ascent. If you have a King James Version, it says a song of degrees. And what it's saying is that this is a song that was sung by pilgrims that were going to Jerusalem as they made their ascent to Jerusalem. So knowing something about the geography helps put it in its historical context. And then you want to know something about the culture uh, that this book was, was written to, because our culture is, of course, different than culture in biblical times. And because the Bible was written over a 1,500-year period, even cultures within the Bible are different. The culture of Moses' day is different than the Roman culture of Paul's day for example. So all that is involved in the first area of context. Place it in its historical context. And that yields the first rule of interpretation, and that is this. A text cannot mean what it never meant. <laughs> it can't mean what it never meant. Uh, it meant something at the time it was written. 
and you want to know what it meant at the time it was written and therefore putting it in its historical context is absolutely essential. And it can't mean today something that it never meant then. Now it can be applied today in a lot of ways, but first you've got to get that meaning, that original meaning. So first rule of interpretation, a passage cannot mean what it never meant. Second area of context that you need to concern ourselves with is literary context. And I can go through these a little bit quicker. Uh, but the second area, the first one's historical context, literary context. And what that means is this, that the Bible has these 66 books, but they're not all the same type of book. We mentioned earlier the Psalms, that they are poetry and, and songs. Well, you need to take that into account as you interpret the book, because uh, poetry will have all kinds of emotive and exaggerated language in it, because that's the nature of a poem. So you don't take that literally. Sometimes mis people misunderstand when we say we believe in the Bible literally and literal interpretation. It's better to say we believe in normal interpretation mm, yeah. because that takes into account these figures and different types of, of literature. At, and so you have a lot of different kinds of literature in the Bible. You have Proverbs. The book of Proverbs are general legal guarantees. They're general truths. So when Proverbs 22.6, for example, says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not a legal guarantee, parents, that if you do it right, they'll always turn out right. And a lot of people have not understood that, that, that the nature of a proverb is that it's a general truth. Generally, that's true. So if someone is a good parent and their child doesn't turn out right, that doesn't mean the Bible was wrong. It means that we've interpreted the Bible wrongly by making that a legal guarantee. So you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, you've got parables, you've got letters. All of them have different ways in which they are to be interpreted because of the type of literature that they are. I'm going to make a book recommendation at the end of our time that will help with that if, if folks are, are interested. And within then all of these, you'll have figures of speech. So uh, if you're going to put it in its literary context, take into account that sometimes the Bible does use figures of speech. Jesus said, I am the door in John chapter 10. You know, it's obviously not literal, but he's using a figure of speech to communicate something else that's obvious in the context. So that yields rule number two. Rule number one is a text cannot mean what it never meant. Number two is all texts are not alike. They're not all alike. And then the third area of context is to put every page in its grammatical context. So you want to put a portion of scripture that you're considering in the context of the larger context of that book. So a paragraph preferred, because a paragraph is, is a self-contained thought, and so you take a paragraph, but you want to know how that paragraph fits in with the paragraph before it and the paragraph around it. And that then goes back to how the entire uh, book and why the entire book was written. So you put it in its grammatical context. And if you do that, then you'll find that rule number three is true. And that is that every text has only one meaning. It has only one meaning. It doesn't have two. It doesn't have three. It doesn't have five. The author wrote it and intended to convey one thing. And in order to get that one thing, you need to put that passage, that paragraph, in the overall uh, grammatical context. 
So if we'll do those, then we'll have those three rules of interpretation. If we play by those rules, then we will not see the Bible as this hopelessly obscure book that can't be understood. That's great. So uh, you mentioned earlier a book recommendation. Uh, we, I think we've got a lot of content for this week. We can maybe cut off right here and, and pick up next week, but let folks know what that book recommendation is. So uh, there's a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Uh, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And it describes much of what I've, I've said here and some more detail. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, Gordon Fee, F-E-E, and Donald Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T. Just want to mention one final thing that uh, as we go into next week and we do a part two to this, that's just your, isn't that just your interpretation? We're going to want to look at now uh, the the nature of language and look a bit philosophically at how uh, language of necessity has to be understood in the ways that we've talked about. I mean, we've laid out these rules. This is the way it happens. It's the way it's happening right now as I'm talking to you. But we want to step back a little bit and say, why is it that way? What is it about the nature of language that requires that it be that way? Because that will help us uh, understand why these rules are universal and also help us better understand how we interpret uh, particular aspects of the Bible. So I hope you'll be able to join us for that next time. That's good. That'll be good to pick up there. I just want to remind those of you uh, at home, thanks for watching, by the way. But if you don't already, make sure you like us on Facebook. Sorry for putting that over your face, Pastor Ken. Threw a new graphic in there this week. (laughs) And uh, you can find us on Facebook. Our username is CBC Trenton. And it's pretty much that same username on all of our profiles. If you wanted to follow us on Instagram, uh, a lot of times we'll put event announcements there. And then definitely, if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, again, it's the same username, CBC Trenton. If you look for us on YouTube under that, you'll find it. You'll find these episodes, all of the previous, as well as our Sunday morning worship live stream, and now even our children's church uh, services. We we uh, live not live stream. We uh, premiere those every Sunday morning at 1015 for kids who aren't able to make it uh, to church in person. And uh, that and everything else can be found at our website, cbctrenton.com. And uh, I think any more commercials I need to do, Pastor Ken, (laughs) maybe for the blog? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Another great article this past week. Um, And uh, as we're recording this, uh, we've got one in process, so that'll be out uh, probably will have just been released as you as this episode airs. So make sure you check out Church Matters at our website. Pastor Ken, as always, thanks for taking the time to prepare this information for us. And uh, for you at home, thanks for watching, listening, and we look forward to ta- uh, seeing you in the next one. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.